three, two, one. From down in the dirty bird. Oh my goodness gracious. The only mustard buzzard podcast on the planet. This is Buzzardry. Here are your hosts, Ben Milam and Patrick McGee. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Buzzardry. Uh, Good to be back with you. Another week, another loss to talk about. We are going to do our very best to uh, not hold with the same talking points we have uh, these last three weeks, which might be a little difficult. We're probably going to rehash some stuff, um, but either way, we're going to we're going to do our best to, uh, yeah, I guess. Uh, talk about what we saw on Saturday and yeah, I guess uh, what it means for the rest of uh, the schedule, the back half of the schedule. And uh, we're also going to take your questions. Uh, We did that for the sake of, um, yeah, hopefully not talking about the exact same things. Um, But yeah, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll talk about it in full. We'll talk about a little bit of baseball. I know. Uh, I know. There's a, a little bit of a pull towards maybe some other sports, and so uh, Patrick was on the scene for one of the scrimmages this weekend. Uh, we'll get him to run through a breakdown of that, and then we'll of course run through what happened in the Sun Belt. And we are uh, just a quick housekeeping note. We will not be uh, with you next weekend. We're going to take a week off uh, because of the kind of funky bye week slash Tuesday night game uh, next, or I guess not this next week, but the, the week following the bye week. Uh, but we will, we'll, we'll touch on South Alabama at the end of this episode, although uh, a lot of you are probably already familiar uh, with South Al. So that's what we'll talk about today. My name is Ben Milam. I'm here with my partner, Patrick McGee. Pat, how are you? Checking in on a uh, Sunday afternoon. Uh, glad the weather is uh, starting to get a little bit better because uh, mm-hmm. the football has been the same all year. So. <laughs> that is true. It is uh, it is Sunday, as uh, Patrick mentioned there, October 8th. And we do want to thank Big Gold Nation uh, for sponsoring this episode. That is SouthernMiss.Rivals.com. I know a lot of you have uh, plenty to talk about. And a lot of that discussion is going on over on the on Big Old Nation. Uh, still got a lot of a lot of great deals on membership, a lot of great content. So be sure to check out Big Old Nation. Okay, Pat, let's uh, let's try to let's try to make sense uh, again of I would characterize it as Coach Hall characterized it. Another very disappointing evening. In Hattiesburg, another disappointing uh, evening period for Southern Miss football. Um, not a great Old Dominion team, uh, but you know the the themes of this one were kind of flipped. We have, uh, you know, we we talked about. You mentioned um, specifically last week that I mean, the offense has been pretty good. It's it's been you know that was arguably the best two game stretch under Hall um, offensively score 30 plus two straight games. And the question was the defense uh, that had kind of just been obliterated in um, both on the ground and through the air uh, one against a team that was really uh, not very good offensively, a team uh, that you'll talk about your Sun Sunbelt roundup that really, really struggled uh, against a quality defense this past weekend in Arkansas state. So you know, again, Coach Hall talked about this. It's a matter of not putting together uh, a full game at this point. Um, you you, you kind of came to the end of this game and you look at it and there are, you know, one or two plays that go your way, probably a different result. But, you know, it, yeah, it, I think at some point you have to reckon with the fact that you're probably just not a very good football team. Even if you are one or two plays away, you consistently have not made those plays. You consistently have come up short. And again, within the context of the opponent, not being a quality opponent. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, uh, the offense under four yards per play yesterday. And really, I mean, you look at the 13 points that you did score. One of them was on a kick return or on, on a punt return. 
from Ty Mims. And another, it was on a basically a kind of a weird play where Wiles looked like he was about to get sacked, and then he kind of just shoveled it to Gore, and that was on a drive you were eventually able to get a field goal on. So, I mean, it was basically kind of a not, I mean, want to call it a, a fluky play, but just a, a kind of a broken play that Wiles was able to keep the drive going, and then on a punt return. Other than that, you, I mean, you weren't able to do anything. It was, yeah, only like yeah. I was saying, under under four yards per play. And it's just, and, you know, we kind of talked about, you know, well, should USM become more of like a running team? And just because they had had more success running the football than passing. We've talked about, you know, the weakness at the tackle position and pass protection. Mm-hmm. And, you know, quarterback's limited. I mean, Wiles, if you can give him a clean pocket, his numbers are pretty good. I think Scott Watkins had a tweet about that. Um, but, you know, under pressure really, you know, has struggled. But last night, I mean, the story was, I mean, you're just running the ball without, I mean, just running the ball into the, you know, gut of that old dominion defense and couldn't get anything going at all. I mean, you had 44 carries, 110 yards, uh, just two and a half yards uh, per carry. And it was just no creativity at all, really, in, in the run game where you go, Gore carries the ball 29 times for 66 yards. And then, you know, you kind of look at people who were saying, well, why didn't Rodriguez Clark get the ball more? He had seven carries for 39. That's over five yards uh, per carry. And then it was just kind of encapsulated in that last drive where you got the ball. I mean, you're on a pretty nice drive. You got the ball down to the – let's see. I'm looking at the play-by-play here. You got it first and goal from the five. And then you have uh, a pass in, incomplete. But then you run the ball at the middle three times for – you know, no game or th- three yards yeah. out of those three plays. And it's just uh, no creativity, continued struggles on offense. Defense played well, although, I mean, Old Dominion had, I think, uh, close to six yards per play. They missed a couple opportunities. You got beat. Um, I think really the almost the, the kind of the, the play of the game I felt like was when it was 10 to nothing, middle of the second quarter. It looked like you had a chance to get off the field. You had Old Dominion. Uh, kind of deep in their own t- – not super deep, but, I mean, they were, they were maybe around the 20 or so. And then they get a play down to the five-yard line where MJ Daniels gets beat, and then Old Dominion ends up scoring on that play. If you were able to get up the field there, it's 10 to nothing, and then, you know, you were, you would have been able to take it into the half up to nothing. Yeah, you probably would have won this game. I mean, that, and that touchdown ended up being the difference in the game where it's 17-13. If you don't allow that play, it's, you know, 13 to 10. Um, so it's just a uh, complete ineptitude on offense. You know, defense played pretty well, but I, I mean, I just think this was the game where I felt like, like even the most like diehard Hall defenders were kind of jumping off the bandwagon at this point. Because now you're looking, you know, we talked about this was one of the two games you're going to be favored in. Okay, so you lose this, and the only the only game you can really kind of squint at left on the schedule and say, okay, maybe you can compete in that game, and it's like, you know, maybe not even a coin flip, but like a forty sixty type game is ULM, mm-hmm. and um. So, I mean, you're looking at, you know, two and 10 probably ceiling. Maybe if you, you know, want to be generous, three and nine here in year three. And uh, there are some serious questions out there about the staff and about the direction of the program. And um, it's, it's just all around really bad vibes. And I know that's, you know, it's, it's negative, but I mean, it's, it's just the truth. There, yeah. there are serious questions about this program and, you know, where it's headed. So, yeah, I, mean, I think you're, I think you're spot on. I think. You know, we've we've tried to be realistic, and I think there was still, even after that that Arkansas State game, especially after the Tulane game. But I think there was still, you know, there was still hope that if you if you do make some changes or if you improve in a certain facet, then maybe you can turn it around. Maybe there's you know a, a really really outside shot at six and six, but uh, you know even salvaging four or five games, you feel like that would going from the point you were to that would feel like, you know, that would be a step forward. But I, I think you've just, you've just run out of excuses. Um, you know, kind of like I said at the beginning, I think at, at some point you just have to, you just have to accept the fact that this is it. Um, you know, you made, you made the personnel changes with what coach Hall said were, the, you know, the five best that they had on the offensive line and I, I I thought in some ways the offensive line was a little bit better. Um, I for the most part liked what I saw out of. I was specifically watching Gabe Cavazos at left tackle. Yeah. I thought I thought he was pretty good there, uh, especially in pass protection. You give you give up two sacks, but um, I, you know I think within the context of all those changes, then you know you I, I think you take that. Um, but I just don't. 
I just don't think you're a very good football team. Um, and and I said this, I, I think it was after the Tulane game, but there's there's been no reason to believe that it's going to get any better. And I mean, now that is even more true uh, because again, you're you're out of you're out of the excuses. You've you've made the changes. You've changed how practice goes, and you lost to a really really bad football team at home on homecoming uh, when there was a lot of pressure to win. Uh, you know, I mean, the way that Coach Hall talked about it, the way everyone talked about it, you knew this was a game that you had to win if you were going to salvage any sort of positivity from this season and uh, any bit of the momentum you had from last year of winning a bowl game. That's that's totally gone. And, I mean, yeah, like you said, even the most faithful of fans, even the most hopeful of, of people who were uh, still – kind of holding on to the fact that maybe coach hall can turn this around you know you've completely and totally lost that faith you've lost the faith of the former players we saw several yeah. instances of that yesterday and I, you, know. you know i um i said you know at, at the at the point where you lose you totally lose the fan base and you start to ask the question of are you losing the team at that point at least i feel like there it, it's nearly impossible to turn it around at that point because it, you know, the turnaround has to be pretty drastic. And again, I don't think we've seen evidence to think that that's possible. And so, you know, where do you go from here? I, I don't know. Um, I, I will say I, I, I thought that the team played with energy. I thought it was some of the best energy we've seen, especially in our first half. And I think those, those guys deserve credit. Um, you know, the Avery Habba story that everyone has talked about, um, you know, I, I absolutely uh, love it for that kid. And, you know, I'm still pulling hard for these players. Uh, and and I think they're still playing hard. But I think, yeah, I think we just have to have the conversation of where do you go from here? Because I don't I don't see a path uh, to turning this thing around. Yeah, I mean, and even if you do get a little bit better, I mean, a little bit better is still – I don't see how you – How are you, even if you're a little bit better, how are you going to beat App State or ULL or South Al? I mean, these teams – I mean, even a little bit better, that's still, you know, not good enough to beat these teams coming up on the schedule. And, um, yeah, I mean, we'll get – we got some questions about it, but there's going to be some questions about what happens with the staff now, which, honestly, before this game – and I know people – I mean, we can maybe get in, I guess – um, you know, Jeremy had released that statement on, on Monday, which we kind of yeah. or I kind of joked about saying, if, you know, if you lose this week, maybe Jeremy would release his statement saying, you know, we're disappointed or whatever. And he, you know, he, he kind of said that was just kind of one of a sort of a I feel your pain type bit. Um, but instead of, you know, not necessarily a warning shot. But I mean, if you go into, you know, and I mean, I, I was trying to do some research on this last night and I, I didn't get very, very far on it. But just trying to find like how many FBS or like even group of five coaching staffs to go one and eleven or two and ten in year three, how many of those are retained? And I, I mean, I would feel like it's a, a pretty low percentage, and I feel like it's a tough sell to your fan base. And all right, you know, you go two and ten in year three, we're going to retain this staff. You know, I mean, it shows a little bit that maybe you're unserious about football, or that's yeah. the message. Maybe that's not what the Maybe that's not how the program or the you know administration feels, but that's the message that it sends to your fans. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean it's just, and it's just I I mean I'm just kind of lost for words. I am shocked that they are this bad. Yeah, because I mean yeah. it just felt like after last year. I mean even you know beating Rice, Rice not a great team. You win the it was you know the Lending Tree Bowl or the Dollar General whatever they call it now, but it did feel like the program was trending in a positive direction. Maybe not yes. as quite as fast as you know we wanted and as fast as like a south alabama has done or like a troy has done under their program but it felt like the program was making strides into becoming a you know a contender in this conference and you know you know we were talking about you know win seven or eight this year with a tough schedule and the next year with the easier schedule would be the year that you know hall could win 10 games and move on to a bigger job but i mean now it's just i mean it's more about him trying to survive i feel like then, you know, moving on to to a bigger and better job. And, um, yeah, I mean, again, I mean, I'm just shocked that, you know, because I remember I mean, I'm just an idiot, such an idiot that I said before the year that this was an 8-4 and four type team. Um, and now, you know, you're really staring 2-10 and 10 at best in the face. And 
it's um I'm shocked. I think the fans are shocked. Yeah. And um, you know, it's just with the team, it's it's just complete inconsistency. Inconsistency. You know, one week it'll be like we were just talking about. It's a complete reversal. The last two weeks where the defense played poorly. Uh, these last two weeks, but then they come out and play pretty well this week against an Old Dominion team that had success on offense against Marshall, but then the offense just is a total no-show. Yeah. And then, I mean, you can even get more granular into that. You talk about, like, offensive line play, where we talked about offensive line play, the guards have played better, or the interior guys have played better than the guys on the outside. Well, if you look at this game, Scott Watkins had posted the PFF grades on Twitter, and, uh, you know, he got, like, Gabe Cavazos and um, Bryson Mays. Those guys graded out well on PFF. Had two of the, I mean, I guess uh, Cavazos, this is his first game playing, but Mays had his best game of the year. But you look at the guys on the interior, they all played really poorly and had some of their, you know, if not one of their worst games, their worst yeah. game of the year. Um, and that's why you weren't able to run the ball at all. And, you know, you just kept running into a wall there with Gore running 29 times for, you know, just over TR per carry. So it's just complete inconsistency. We talked about there hasn't really been uh, a, a personnel unit on this team that's really performed well throughout the entire year, and I think that just kind of continued into the, this game where things you had done well the past couple weeks. Um, well, like you know, offense playing a little bit better, scoring some points. I mean, that didn't happen at all in this game. Um, so it's just it's uh, a complete regression, and we'll, you know, I think we got some questions on why there is a regression, and we can expound on that later. Um, but just yeah, it's all falling apart here. And um, it's just, yeah, really surprising because you did feel like it was headed in, you know, a, a good direction at the yeah. end of the season. Where, and I think Hall had talked about they were going to have a team that was, you know, uh, going to compete for the conference that is just nowhere near that. So, yeah, and and that's I think that's part of why it is so surprising that you are this bad is because, yes, you, I mean, you you have talked about several times the you know what you lost the attrition on the defensive side of the ball specifically. But, you know, we talked throughout the year last year, but especially at the end of the year after that bowl win, you've you felt like I think most people felt like, OK, you're you're a, a halfway decent quarterback away from being competitive consistently on offense. And that seems to be the missing piece. But like you said, a lot of those themes have been reversed. And I think I think you've seen the potential and I've said again, I've said this before, and here we are again having the same talking points. But we have we've said before that you've seen the potential, I think, of both sides of the ball. Um, offensively, obviously, the last two weeks you score 30 plus, and then defensively, you know, that that's that's not a great old dominion offense, but it's it's not a an awful one. I mean, they you scored uh whatever it was, 40 or 34, 30, uh yeah, 35, I think. 35, okay. Um on Marshall last weekend who you know was one of the favorites for the east and then you just you ju- you're just totally inept on offense you don't score a touchdown you get to the red zone three times and you know uh, obviously you came close to to putting it in the end zone but you're not able to do what the offense is supposed to do uh, you're six for 16 on third down multiple instances of procedural penalties on third and short and fourth and short which we saw that against texas state too and so again i, I think you just I think you have to at some point stop saying if and, um, you know, if certain things change, then then things will be OK. Um, but I think the, the fact that you just have not had a full performance and it's it's played out the way it has, I think I really think it comes down to coaching. Um, the fact that you have seen that potential and you've not been able to put it together. I, I, I mean, to me, a lot of that is the coaching staff's job um, to orchestrated in a way where it does it does come together and you play a complete game and I mean the biggest thing is obviously you're losing these games and and like you said it's it's not against the best competition in the Sun Belt it's against Arkansas State yeah. and Old Dominion who on paper are you know in the bottom or we're in the bottom 30 teams in the country um and you know a team in Texas State who was four and eight a year ago it's just it's just not good enough and I think it, it is what it is at this point um, anything else on that, Patrick? I'm going to pull up these questions uh, because yeah. I think we'll probably start to to get into the answers we'll have there. Uh, There's about 20 of them. Yeah, uh, I think. Yeah, uh, let's. I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of filter through these. Um, we have we have several that are just uh, why why yeah. Um, 
And I, I mean, you alluded to it. I think that's a question that a lot of people are, are asking in a lot of different ways, but let's kind of expound upon that, I guess. Why, why do you think Southern Miss is as bad as they are in year three? Yeah, I think it's offensively. You just your offensive line is. I mean, like we're talking about inconsistent. I mean, you've gotten good performances from the guard play at times, but then you've gotten really bad performances like yesterday, and then you've gotten decent enough performances at tackle like you had yesterday, but you know some really bad performances. So inconsistent offensive line where it's been makes it mediocre to bad. You have a quarterback that is pretty good uh with that with a clean pocket but i mean you can say that for pretty much every quarterback you got to be able to have a quarterback that can do something yeah. out of structure uh and you know wiles really struggles under pressure and then weapons i mean you don't have jason brownlee jason brownlee was the guy i mean you could just kind of throw it up to him and he could catch 50 50 balls and that was a big part of last year's offense and you just don't have the weapons you did offensively last year without him so i think the offense has serious problems what we talked about and then defense were i mean again Young secondary that's gotten burned at times. Uh, defensive line, I mean, really, defensive line has played pretty well outside of that first half against Texas State. Um, but, you know, yeah, again, we just uh, – the secondary is kind of the big thing there where you've been able to stop the run for the most part outside of that first half against Texas State. Um, but, um, you know, the secondary has, has been a problem at, at times. I mean, you saw the, their inexperience um, and – yeah, I mean, you saw it against Arkansas State, but they gave up a bunch of big plays. You saw Texas State, TJ Finley picked them apart. Um, so I just think they're, they're, again, it's just kind of getting back to it. But And then, you know, lack of imaginative play calling on offense, which has been uh, certainly a major theme that's been uh, referenced. But I just think it is no position group has been consistently good or, you know, none of them really have been great at the same time in a game. And just kind of, you know, not great coaching. I think that's the two reasons. Um, yeah. yeah, so, I mean, that's, that, you're basically just saying personnel and coaching, which is like the entirety of football, that's, I guess. That's it, yep. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I, yeah. But I, I think you're right. I think you're right. Um, again, a couple of a couple of those – a couple of you all asked the, kind of the same question, uh, the ghost of Ellis Johnson. Uh, his first question, same thing. Uh, but a second question, do you guys believe Hall is checked out? Um, no, I don't think he is. I don't, you know, um, Patrick, you mentioned this on Twitter. I mean, by all accounts, and I, I think personally for both of us, Coach Hall, fantastic person. Um, I think he wants to win here. I think he still wants to win here, still committed to that, which is part of why it makes the situation so unfortunate because he was yeah. so well liked and I think is still so well liked personally that so many people. Um, even after some of the disappointment in the first two years in the beginning of this year, you know, kind of hung on to Will Hall and, you know, the hope that it could get turned around. Um, but, it, yeah, I mean, I, I think at some point you, you kind of have to put that aside and do what's best for the program. Um, but, again, to answer your question, no. Uh, I, he's not He's not checked out. I think he's still committed to – to doing what he said he was going to do. I think the players are still committed. Uh, they're still fighting. Again, I I, I overall really like the energy uh, from the team yesterday. And I, I think that's that's hard to do. I think you're getting into the, to the territory where you almost expect the team to quit. And the fact that they haven't, and I don't think they will, I, I, I think that speaks to what the culture is that Coach Hall has built. Um and obviously that that's not enough. That doesn't win ball games. But no, I, he's not checked out. I don't think he will check out. I don't think the team will check out. Yeah, I'll uh, yeah, I'll think that answered it. So, all right, Destiny says, "Do you think we're really stuck with another year of Hall Ball? What can the administration do to right the ship, Patrick?" Yeah. So. Uh... Uh, really before yesterday, I kind of thought, well, he would definitely get another year. And I still lean to him getting another year because of the financial part. Yes. But again, I mean, it's just kind of the, and so getting into the financial part, I guess USA Today released their, um, they do their budget or their, their coaches salary database. <laughs> they published that last week and they had a, a buyout column and it said, Hall's buyouts 1.7 million. I originally thought it was 2.4. I thought he had like maybe three years left and 
that was sort of they just have to buy out his last three years, but he maybe only has two years left. So according to USA Today, it's one point seven million. Um, again, that's that's a lot of money for USM, um, which is why I don't think they're going to do it. But I mean, again, it goes back to what I was saying earlier, where if you go one eleven or two and ten in year three, I mean that's a tough tough sell for your fan base. And there, uh, if he is retained, I would expect significant significant staff changes significant personnel changes through the portal and you got to hit on those portal guys because if you miss on them then you're in an even bigger hole than you were in previously um so yeah i think just further investing in the program i think that's the short-term thing and um but as as of right now i I just my gut feeling is um that he will be uh retained you know assuming this goes on to be a one and eleven two and ten type year yeah i was i was (laughs) You know, had a had a lot of these kind of conversations uh, after games like yesterday, but I yeah, I, I think the only scenario where that is an actual possibility of moving on from this staff as a whole is if you go one and eleven, maybe two and ten. But I, I think I think if you sneak a few games here and there and you show some improvement overall, maybe lose some close games to some of those better teams like App State uh, or Detroit in that last game, and maybe you can you can justify hanging with the staff and giving them another year. Um, but yeah, I, I think you're exactly right. I, I really think the financial piece is the biggest piece. Um, and, you know, from what I understand on the contract, it's the traditional first contract for a coaching staff is five years. And in, in Mississippi public employees or public uh, university employees can only have four year contracts. So you have an automatic rollover year uh, basically to give you a de facto fifth fifth year for that contract and so after now three years it'd be two years left um you know giving you that 1.7 which is you know uh unfortunately a lot of money uh for southern miss it's it's hard to you know find an extra 1.7 million dollars in the budget at this point so i'm i'm with you patrick i i think i think things would have to um really not that they haven't unraveled but i i think it would You'd have to be one and eleven, two and ten, uh, with you know, uh, with blowout kind of games. similar, yeah, blowout games, and I think similar sentiment from the fan base uh, to where you know you're still sort of in this same place you are after after that um, game against Old Dominion. If that if that doesn't change and you're sitting at one or two wins, um, plus like yeah, plus you, you just have shown no improvement. I think that's when you start to have that conversation. Uh, but I, I don't think I don't think we're there yet. Harley uh, says, is our current situation more Munkin's fault or Fedora's fault? That is uh, sarcasm, <laughs> I'm assuming. Eagles to the top says, uh, a couple of questions. First, did we officially enter EJ territory yet again? Um, to me, to me, EJ territory, I, I think kind of the, the, the death knell for the Ellis Johnson uh, era slash year was the team quitting. Uh, and, you know, we've talked about that. I think they quit from pretty much from the start. And I don't, I don't think the team has quit. Um, I, I think, I think it's more, you know, again, we, I don't know if we have the formula for how to turn it around on the field, but I, I think it it might be a case of this, the staff just not, not being capable of uh, doing it at the division one level. Um, I think you have to have that conversation um, after a first half like you just had. Um, I don't. I don't think it's it's what Ellis Johnson was. I don't think it's it's you know not being bought in, not actually wanting to win, and having the team quit on you. To me, that's that's EJ territory. I don't think I don't think we're there. I think it it is it is maybe a similar spot, obviously results wise, but I think in a lot of ways this is a, a different situation. Yeah, and you know they do have that one win at least, so that prevents you from uh, Ellis territory of going winless. Although I would say that that Ellis team, they might have gotten a win if they had uh, if, if they had played, if yeah. They, yeah, if they had played Alcorn. But yeah. uh yeah. yeah. Um, second question from Eagles to the top: What are the long-term consequences of retaining Hall uh, past the season? Someone, someone brought it up, and again, this is you know we've we've had a lot of these kind of conversations. Unfortunately, uh, maybe not a lot. So we've had these same conversations several times over the last decade 
uh, since Larry Fedora. Um, what, you know, this, this sort of paradox of letting someone go early, terminating their contract, putting the buyout, or sticking with them and, uh, you know, not having to pay that buyout money. Um, but the point someone made was, you know, the money and the revenue that you lose with losing the fan base and having having an empty stadium, uh, what, you know, what hurts you recruiting-wise long-term, uh, you know, that that can be that can be significant if it's clear to both recruits and fans that it's it's not going to get any better. And like I said, I, I think you are you're getting close to that. Yeah, and I think you, know, you talk about the recruiting part of it. Let's say you do get rid of Hall, but then, you know, you have a bunch of players leave and then you would have a bunch of recruits leave. But I mean, in this portal or portal air, I mean, you could just, you know, the next coach, they bring in there all a bunch of their guys from, you know, their connections or wherever they're coming from. So I don't know if that would necessarily like losing a recruiting class. I mean, yeah, that'd be bad, but I mean, it's not as bad as it would have been, you know, ten or fifteen years ago when, or even yeah. you know, five years ago when when you didn't have the portal. So in this, and now they just announced their or uh, their the NCAA they did the thing with the cap where you can like there's no cap on like class sizes anymore. So you can just pay. It paves the way for like Colorado or Texas State style yeah. rebuild. So I mean, I think it's. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what the long-term implications would be, but I think you just kind of look at if, if they did get rid of them, you know, you would be able to have somebody come in and you, you know, basically re or redo the roster if they wanted to. So I, I, it's hard to answer that, but there are easier ways to rebuild now than well, you know, there were. Yeah, and to that point, it also yeah, that's part of why I'm saying it, it's so it's hard for me to see a path to turning this around the way that you need to turn it around because you come say, you, you know, hypothetically uh, you, you do retain the staff, which I, again, I agree with Patrick. I, I think that's, that's probably the direction, direction you're heading. Um, You know, it, it, I think, yes, you can turn it around really quickly, but it also makes it that much harder to turn it around with a current coaching staff because now you, you go two and 10, three and nine, and you have guys that can go play somewhere else. I mean, those guys can easily just go pick up and and go, you know, play for another school that as is winning ball games and is heading in a positive direction. I think it's it's it just becomes a really tough sell um, to your current players and to the recruiting class coming in, which on paper is a, is a really strong recruiting class. Um, but you can't, you know, in today's college football, you just kind of have to resell everyone every single year. And at this point you don't really have anything to sell. And so it's, it's really hard uh, to, when it gets to a point like this, it's really, really hard to turn things around because, you know, it, I think to do that, you would have to keep your best pieces, add some other really good pieces. And it's, it's going to be hard to keep those good pieces and also attract players that are, are going to have the ability uh, to contribute to a turnaround. <laughs> Cloverleaf Mall said, uh, this is uh, an interesting question. Um, <laughs> this is one for the philosophers. Saudi Arabia's public investment fund wants to invest in Southern Miss football. They can distribute $25 million in 2024, including $10 million in coach salaries and NIL deals. Do you take the deal knowing you paid for your wins with a foreign investment fund? Patrick, what do you think about that? Uh, I think I'll pass on USM becoming live golf, college football. <laughs> so uh, that, that's my opinion on that. Yeah, so. <laughs> I, I think I'll, I think I, I could see yeah. I could see Texas A and M or someone like that doing that though. They could be the uh, yeah. the PIF school for college football. I think I'll pass on too. Yeah, although that I will say uh, I'm I'm halfway tempted uh, to take that if that was actually <laughs> if that was actually real um, because Saudi Arabia. I mean they. You know, they basically fund Formula One, a lot of Premier League soccer stuff. I mean, they have their hand in a ton of stuff that a lot of people don't realize. So, anyways, that's a discussion for another day. Um, fan number nine, USM Baseball, says, should I brainwash my soon-to-be-born grandson to root for USM or let him pick a school? <laughs> that won't make him miserable his whole life. Uh, I think this is a we, – we've uh, – yeah, we've used the term existential crisis over and over again this last month. I think that's that's a question a lot of people <laughs> got to ask themselves walking out of a stadium after games like 
uh, like we saw yesterday is, you know, what if I were a fan of a different school um, that this kind of stuff didn't happen to over and over again? Um, Patrick, what do you think? Should he brainwash his grandson? Uh, I think he should still brainwash his grandson and become a USM fan. I think <laughs> yeah. uh, being a being a USM fan or a team that's losing a bunch, I think that builds character. Mm. Uh, so if he wants to have a mentally tough uh, grandson here over yeah. the over the course of his life, you got to root for USM because uh, yeah. yeah, that builds that builds character. Yes, it does. So, uh, yeah. so I think uh, he should still go still go through with the brainwashing. I would say. Yeah, <laughs> man, that's a that's a not that's a. That's a lot of what buzzardry is. Uh, we're, we're yeah. you know, we're high character people. If you're a real Southern Miss fan, you're a high character person. Um, if you know, if you were still sitting in the sands at the end of that game yesterday, uh, I would I would characterize you as a high character person. Um, but that's also not to not to get too meta about it, I guess. Um, but you know, I, I've I've had that conversation in this last month with people of. You know, seeing what's you know uh, some of the unnamed in-state schools have done, um, you know, setting attendance records and all the money they have coming in, or you know, even even the regional SEC Power Five schools. It you know feels like it would be so much easier to be a fan of one of those schools, but the chaos and the misery that is the existence of a Southern Miss fan. I I think I don't know. I, I mean, part of Actually, not part of all of me. Um, I, I just cannot. I can't jump and just give up on what I grew up on and and where I went to school. And I I still hold to the fact maybe it's it's me being overly optimistic. Um, but I've, I've I think I talked about it last year at some point. But my dad always says that our best days are ahead of us, and that in a lot of ways it gets harder to believe. Uh, but I still hold to that, and I think when you do have success in whatever sport it is, you feel like you earned it. And it, and it feels that much better uh, to stick with a, a, a fandom that's not easy. Like you said, Patrick, high character. You got to be a high character. And your grandson is going to be a high character fella if he is a Southern Miss fan. Good question there. Yeah, and it's, it's something like if you're a Southern Miss fan, there's so much disappointment that like when you like you beat Milwaukee in a basketball game, like, <laughs> 65 to 62 or something yeah. like it, it just feels really good because oh, uh you know you, there's enough bad moments to make the good moments feel a lot much better so man. yeah yeah and just <laughs> and just things i mean you know obviously the baseball success but little things like selling out reed green and and beating louisiana lafayette you know the, the, the night that that was uh just makes those moments so special um and and i think worth it so again good question GC Eagle 14 says, how many esports stations do you think we could fit in place of the rock? Uh, you know, a lot, a lot of people are starting to say that the esports team is the most successful athletic program at Southern Miss, two national championships. Uh, so, you know, we've had we've had pleas for turning the rock into uh, let's see. Re- baseball. Reusing it as the baseball stadium, hockey, hockey. rink. And now, uh, now call for making it an esports arena. Uh, so we'll, yeah, um, we've got plenty of options if if football doesn't get any better. Yeah, I, I saw a picture of the uh, they had that esports uh, station at the, um, I guess it in uh, in the Cochran Center. Yeah, uh, student union that I guess it used to be like a kind of a pool hall area, but I think they've re retrofitted it or refitted it or whatever the word is. To uh to make it like an esports station it looks pretty it looks pretty good so that's got to be a good recruiting tool yeah uh, for that team I don't know how many teams and or universities in the country have that sort of setup but it looks pretty nice so I, I was impressed it does yeah GC Eagles uh second question this I love this question so much was going to Hawaii the right decision and how has that affected our O line play we're going way back for this one yeah I've seen a lot of people people are back whenever usm struggles we just we just revert back to the um uh old bauer versus fedora talk the hawaii bowl and just going back to like you know 1985 and we're asking like oh was roland dale was he actually a good ad or not and we're just yep, yep. we just go back further and further in our arguments um when these struggles happen so uh yeah, yeah it's, it is funny how those kind of things happen on, on social media these debates who knows? Maybe if we we would have elected to play Penn State, was it the Cotton Bowl? 
2011. It was Heart of Dallas Bowl, which would it would have been Dallas. played in it would have been played in the Cotton Bowl, but yeah, it would um Heart of Dallas, which was the same uh, which was the yeah, bowl the USM played in 2015 against Washington. But yeah, it would have been played in the Cotton Bowl, but it was not it was not the actual Cotton Bowl. So, uh, who knows? Maybe that would have been the butter butterfly effect, and everything would be different. But yeah. Buster Buzzard, Bleacher Creature says, "When do we, uh, when do we let AI start calling plays? That, that is an idea right there. I'll uh, maybe I'll pull up Chat GPT and and see what they say uh, next, or I yeah. guess on Tuesday, and see if, if see if that's any different from what the coach. Maybe they are using Chat GPT. I don't know. <laughs> All right, Joe also says why." <laughs> Nate, uh, I believe this is the last question. Uh, I'll I'll run back through and make sure I didn't miss anything. Nate says, "How much longer until basketball season?" This is uh, this is a nice little segue. We are going to do, like we said, we'll take next week off, but we're going to do a, a full basketball preview. I guess in two weeks, Pat, we'll do that in two weeks. I think so. Yeah, yeah. Um, because we are, man, we are coming up. I think it's about three weeks, right? Uh, or maybe maybe. Uh, yeah, the uh, or early to early about a month away. Um, about a month away. Okay. You know, it's November. November sixth. Yeah, so we're um a little less than a month away. So we're yeah we're uh we're coming on up, Nate, and we're we're gonna break all that down and talk about year. Oh my goodness, year five of the J Liner year. Wow. Yeah. So we'll talk all about that. Uh, good questions, everybody. Well, we we, no, we actually we, we missed we a couple that yeah, we, or just okay. a couple. Uh, Brick asked about what does it say about thousands of diehards going to watch their one and four team go to mm. one and five? Yeah. Uh, what does it say about our culture as a school? Something positive to see in all this thoughts? Um, and I would say, yeah, I mean, it, it shows you that. I mean, there's you know, there's probably twelve to fifteen thousand diehards. I would say for USM, and then everything else is kind of just based on and just in terms of attendance is based on like, you know, weather and deer hunting season, kind of how the team is playing. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I even last night, I mean, you know, by the end of that game, there were probably, I mean, there were certainly less than 12 to 15,000 people in that stadium uh, for the end of it. But yeah, I mean, look, USM is, it's been said, USM is one of the, you know, maybe dozen to 15, maybe a little bit more than that group of five schools that have a real fan base and a core this, you know, uh, over multiple generations. Um, so, I mean, that's, uh, you know, something that unique about USM that most of, you know, most of the group of five schools don't have, most some belt schools probably don't have. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's some kind of silver lining. It doesn't make any, it doesn't make it feel better or last night feel better, but it's, uh, something you can kind of fall back on, I guess. So. Yeah. yeah. And if we get <laughs> to the point where, where people are not upset uh, about a season like this and people don't really care that that's when you know it's over. So we're yeah. not quite to that point yet. Uh, and here's another one I missed. Bryant says, how many first down plays did we run tonight? And how many were to gore up the middle? Um, I can find the first down numbers here. I'm not sure how many went to gore, but it, I mean, like you said, 20, let's see, 26 carries. 29 for 66. 29 carries for 66 yards, which, yeah. And and you mentioned, I mean, Drake Clark, 5.6 yards a carry. That, you know, Co- Coach Hall said – after the game that he really liked what Drake Clark did, which, you know, we've, we've kind of asked this question several times because it's happened several times. Why does he not get the ball more when he touched the ball seven times uh, on the ground, at least, and, um, you know, when he touched the ball, he was your best running back. So it seemed like he would have gotten the ball more. Uh, Patrick, anything else? I'm going to try to find this. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Bauer generation asks, how do you think a lost season affects next year? I think we kind of you kind of touched on that with transfers and the fact that you know guys, some of the top guys on this roster, if you know they'll have a chance to go if they want to, an, I mean another school just because they can say, well, the you know, USM, we're not going anywhere here, so you can go somewhere else. That hurts recruiting potentially. I mean, you you, you touched you touched on it. You talked about you know, I guess the long term effects of fan interest and Eagle club and ticket sales and people buying gear. Um, but I mean, obviously, yeah, it, it hurts next year. It hurts the uh, direction of the program going one and 11 or two and 10. It's just all around. Not good. Uh, somebody asked, when do we start investing our football funds into baseball and expand the P into the 20 K? Well, yeah, we always get a variation of uh, something about 
uh, expand or like a turning football into baseball or like expanding the peak to an MLB stadium. Uh, I got a question like, when do you think Coach Hall will be gone if we lose to ULM in the season? If we lose to Southeast Louisiana or USF, we kind of talked about how we didn't think that was going to happen this year. Although, again, the possibility if you do go 1 11 with some really ugly losses and, uh, you know, some of these donors pony up if they're disappointed enough. Uh, also, uh, last question. This is from the Todd Father, and kind of an interesting question here. Um, how is it that our athletic budget dwarfs a school like Monroe, yet we don't spend as much for basic football needs? Questions and answers are needed if the university is going to take football seriously. And he attaches a picture uh, from one of the message boards, and it is student athlete meals, which has uh, been somewhat of a subject kind of in USM circles that USM doesn't spend as much on nutrition as some other schools. And this uh, picture that he attaches uh, says ULL spends uh, in football meals just under 400K, ULM spends just about 170K, USM at 108. So USM's nutrition uh, staff, or just the money they put into it, is significantly more than ULL. I mean, less than one-third of, uh, of what they spend, and then even a good bit less than what ULM uh, spends on nutrition. So, yeah, I mean, that's an important part yeah. of, uh, like, strength and conditioning. And uh, I think, you know, it's kind of been said that, you know, they don't have maybe, like, the snack bar or, like, the nutrition bar they have or is behind the times. I mean, that just kind of gets into your – um, you know, facilities, which is always an ongoing thing at USM and how USM's fallen behind facilities and indoor practice facility and that kind of thing. But yeah, I mean, you got to, you got to invest in the program and it kind of gets back to like, you know, in terms of like staff, um, like the assistant staff is in a good shape, head coaching salaries is in a good shape. I mean, those are both in the top half of the league. We kind of look at these smaller things like nutrition, USM has fallen behind, behind in that. And if you talk about being the best group of five program in the country, I mean, you got to invest in, you know, nutrition. Yep. That may seem like a small thing, but it's, you know, it's really not. Yep. I mean, that's an important part of strength and conditioning. So that's actually a really important thing. Yep. And uh, I mean, if you, again, just, yeah, repeating, but if you want to be, a, have a, you know, talk about being the best group of five program in the country, you got to spend like it. And those yep. numbers that, that, uh, that were attached to that photo from uh, on Twitter shows that, I mean, you're way behind in spending on nutrition and um and that sort of thing so yeah. yeah a lot of it comes down to money which is the really unfortunate thing um okay last thing on the questions to answer uh, who was it? oh bryant asked the question about first down plays i i don't have the numbers on gore uh i think that's um probably available somewhere and if i really dug um but just yeah kind of on the fly here you ran the ball eight times on first down and no, I'm sorry, 18 times for 61 yards, just under three and a half yards a carry. Uh, and if I mean, if you want to get into the, the advanced metrics, your run stuffed percentage, which is rushes their stop for no gain or loss, you had 11 of those, which is 25% uh, of your rushes, which is pretty below average. Uh, your overall rushing success rate, which is the uh, I guess that's based on the yards needed adjusted for the down uh, percentage of successful rushes, um, yeah. 38% on that, which is pretty below average. And then your overall offensive success rate was 29%, which is the same thing. Uh, successful plays based on yards needed and adjusted for down. It was 29%, which is well, well, well below average. Um, but I think you probably knew uh, that I was going to say something like that. Uh, offense was certainly the worst part of what we saw against old dominion. All right, Patrick, we um, – oh, we're going to talk baseball before we do the Sunbelt Roundup. You were at the scrimmage uh, Friday, Saturday, Pat? Saturday. Okay. What did you see? Yeah, so Nico Mazza and Colby Allen got the start, and uh, I guess just kind of looking Mazza kind of looked like, you know, the typical Mazza, 92 to 94, uh, mostly fastball slider, threw a couple change-ups. Um I think we had three innings, gave up two runs. One of those might have been unearned. I don't know how they would have scored. Some, you know, I wasn't a, you know, there wasn't an official score. They did, they were keeping score on the scoreboard, which I've never seen them do before uh, for a scrimmage. Uh, Colby Allen struggled a little bit with some walks and some hit by pitches. Uh, but I guess the offensively, the guy that really stood out to me was Ozzie Pratt. And he was a guy, he had an opposite field double. 
a single, showed some good speed on the base paths, and he's someone, you know, we can kind of just do a refresher here, I guess, of just the where the team stands and what's some kind of big takeaways overall uh, for baseball 2024. But um, I think he's going to be a guy that he's going to have – he has a good hit tool. He's going to have a, a high average. I can see him having a 300, 310 type average. Um, not going to hit a whole lot of home runs, I don't think. I mean, he'll probably be a three or four home run guy. But I can see him hitting double-digit doubles, uh, maybe double-digit stolen bases. And I think he's he's just going to be a guy in that leadoff spot. Uh, I could see him being a fan favorite. And a guy that could post like an 850, 860 type OPS. And uh, and being a, a you know a solid player, so he was the guy that really stood out to me uh, offensively. Ben Riley Flowers, he he threw an inning, was okay. Um, he looks like he's a guy that has some potential. He's eighty then eighty nine ninety two uh, from the left side. He's a JUCO transfer, so he called my eye. Kyle Culpepper came in. He's eighty six to eighty eight uh, freshman from uh, from Clarkdale High School, not Clarksdale, Clarkdale High School, uh, which is around uh, the Meridian area, I think, in Clark County. Um, Carson Pato um, hit a home run over the uh, into right field, so that was good to see. Hopefully, him getting back uh, to where he was in that 2022 season when he he was a really solid uh, player. But I guess just kind of o- overarching view of baseball, some things we've been seeing and hearing is, oh, first of all, we kind of talked about JB Middleton being an yeah. X factor uh, for this pitching staff headed into the upcoming season. He's been working out of the bullpen exclusively, and it sounds like he's going to be someone that's used as a closer and we kind of talked about he's a guy that profiles as a reliever smaller guy but has a big arm typically those are players or pitchers that um that are more oriented toward the the relief role but we kind of thought okay well you know you don't have a ton of starting pitching depth with Hall gone and um so maybe Middleton was going to be the guy that you were going to have to start in the rotation but it sounds like he's going to be in the bullpen so if you're in a situation where you can use Middleton in the back of the games uh, as that stopper slash closer, and he can be really good, which he has the ability to be with, you know, 97. And, you know, really his his fastball might be his worst pitch. If you look at, which is weird to say, but if you, like, look at his Cape Cod numbers, people are there, like his stuff plus rating. The fastball was the lowest graded pitch he had. His slider um, was, you know, graded well above his fastball, um, as well as his changeup, I think. Um, so I don't know if it's just the shape of the fastball, maybe it's flat or something, but, um, either either way, a guy that you know has you know throws it hard and has a really good off speed, um, you can put there in the back of the games. That's a, a luxury if you have those three guys there in the rotation yeah. where you can justify him being in the back of games. Um, so I think that, but then it kind of gets to the question of who is going to be the ace. You don't really have a a sort of or a solidified ace like you've had the past two years with Tanner Hall, and then you had in twenty twenty one with Hunter Stanley. So. Going to be curious to see if they can find that Friday night guy. Could it be a Maza? Uh, you kind of look at someone like an Oldham who I think really his stock in my eyes really went up in that postseason where I think before yeah. the um, before June, he was kind of a guy, okay, you look at him and he's, you know, you say, oh, he's a good Sunbelt pitcher. He's a guy he can get you by JMU and, you know, Georgia Southern or whoever. But is he a guy that can really get you past the SEC alliance? But he showed in the regional and the super regionals that, yeah, he can get you by, yeah. you know, the SEC bats like he did against Auburn, like he did against Tennessee. So he's, in my eyes, that postseason really transformed him into a not just a good symbol pitcher, but a legitimate weekend arm on a top 25 super regional caliber team. But I still don't know if he's an ace. Um, so I don't know if he would be in the mix there, but definitely a guy that we're going to see on the weekends and that Saturday, Sunday, maybe Friday role. We'll see. But I think um, Mazza has the ability to be that Friday guy with the stuff, with his, you know, pedigree coming out of high school as a top 250 recruit and, you know, 92 to 94 guy with a good slider. It's just the ability of taking that next step with control and command and really making that, you know, have adding or just really making that change up kind of a, a strong third pitch. Yep. So we'll see how, how he progresses. So I think uh, that's something I'm watching. Um, and then offensively, I mean, some of these position battles, we kind of talked um, before um, or kind of in the summer where Austin was hitting and moving Monastere into the corner, possibly in the left field. Well, I've been working him into center field. So it's like Monastere is going to play center field. Um, so that's a new development where you're going to have, you know, a position battle there, you know, in, in left field instead of center field. So we'll see how that works out. And they're going to see, you know, who works out at first base. Can you get, you know, there's been talks of 
Maybe can you get Wilkes to save first base? Can you get him at a position? That would be big with his bat. Um, and then, you know, talk about third base with a guy like Davis Gillespie probably having the edge there. The catcher battle between Bain, between Keith, between Stockman. Um, so I think there's still some position battles to be had there um, in the infield and then there um, in left field. And then, I mean, yeah, getting, you know, Wilkes healthy, first of all, because he yep. was shown when he's healthy these last two years, he can be an elite hitter with the thousand plus OPS. Uh, but again, he had he had an injury scare. I think he's going to be fine. But you know, he ran into the wall, I believe. Um, I think is is what they was reported. Yep. Um, um, in the scrimmage got shaken up. I don't think it's super serious, but it just kind of shows that at times he's been uh, you know a little bit injury prone. Uh, but getting him and Peto back to where they were, you know, when they were you know or you know Peto back to where he was in you know twenty two and kind of taking that next step into a a thousand plus OPS hitter. Wilkes playing up to his peak ability. Those guys being game breakers, that's what we talked about last year. Same case uh, for this upcoming year. So that's just kind of what I saw in the scrimmage and an overarching view of kind of some uh, ongoing or, you know, ongoing, some developments. Like, yeah, development is the word I was looking for as to what's been happening um, in the fall and just kind of getting pe- people up to date on that. So. Uh, you mentioned Ozzy Pratt, but I mean you're going to have a new middle infield. Nolan Tucker has been a guy. Um, his name has been been brought up in some of these scrimmages. Do you see anything specific out of him? Yeah, not in the, and not in this scrimmage. But I mean, we kind of talked about he was going to be an older guy, fourth or fifth year guy who was an all uh, Missouri Valley player in 2022. Wasn't quite as good in 2023, but he's an older player, uh, left handed bat. Not going to have a whole lot of home runs, but he. I mean, he's similar profile to Pratt where. They're yeah. sort. I mean, I guess you want to call Pratt an older player. This is going to be his third year, but uh, guys that they're going to have hopefully high average, good hit tool, ability to hit double digit doubles, three to four home runs, and defend well. Um, um, so yeah, I'm going to hopefully catch another one here. Um, I guess I don't know how much longer they'll be going on usually because they, they felt like they started early, but yeah, catch one or two more scrimmages, and we can talk about that. Uh, I guess uh, later in a couple weeks. So cool, good stuff, Pat. Let's uh, let's go ahead and talk about uh, Sunbelt, Pat. Give us a Sunbelt roundup. Um, yeah, so uh, Sunbelt uh, yesterday, Marshall lost at NC State 48-41. It was kind of a shootout. Uh, it was 48-34. Marshall was able to score late to make it a little bit closer than it was, but it was uh, 48-41, so not a bad showing for uh, Marshall against NC State. That's a good ACC team. Uh, ULL beat Texas State 34-30, where Texas State looked like they were going to win this game. And uh, Texas or ULL was able to come back and win. It was thirty to twenty-one early fourth quarter. ULL scored a touchdown to make a thirty to twenty-eight. Six minutes left, and then uh, they were able to get a, a, a touchdown there with about just over two minutes uh, to make it thirty-four thirty, and they were able to hold on. So that's a big game there in the West race. Uh, Troy destroyed Arkansas State thirty-seven-three. Uh, the Jalen Rainer hype has died down down a little bit now. Uh, he's fifteen to twenty-eight, one fifty-six. Uh, so Troy again just. Uh, they're doing what Troy does, really good defense, enough offense uh, to be a good team. Uh, South Val destroyed uh, ULM 55-7. to uh, So that, that does not give you warm feelings about um, this next game in Mobile because uh, ULM and USM are pretty comparable teams, you would say. And this game, you know, USM obviously going to Mobile. So um, South Alabama playing some good football uh, heading into uh, next Tuesday's game. Uh, and then uh, this upcoming week, uh, USM off, uh, like we talked about. But uh, Tuesday night, a uh, I guess Coastal not. I mean, this is maybe not quite of as good as a game as it looked in the beginning of the year. But Tuesday night, fun belt, ESPN two action, uh, App State hosting Coastal. So I would expect App State to win that with Coastal not looking as good as uh, as they have in years past, where they're not really kind of running that spread option or you know triple option married with the spread that. Uh, Jamie Chadwell ran, so that's uh, that's going to be a boon. Uh, and then you look in on Saturday, uh, JMU hosts. Actually, a, 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 a stat, or or maybe this isn't true because one of these games says it's on ESPN Plus. So whoever, maybe whoever said this was not telling the truth. But there actually are multiple because the whoever somebody on Twitter said every game in the Sun Belt this week was going to be on linear television, um, but. I'm not sure that's true because – or the ULM, ULM in Texas, this might be on um, NFL Network, actually. So that actually might be true, where every game is going to be on linear 
television this week in the Sun Belt. So Georgia Southern, James Madison, uh, that's on ESPN2. That's going to be in Harrisonburg. Huge, or I guess maybe not a huge game because JMU is ineligible, but I think those are arguably the two best teams in the East. Uh, so that should be a really, really good game there on ESPN2. Troy goes to Army. That's on CBS Sports. So another linear broadcast. Um, Marshall goes to Georgia State. That's a big game. That's on ESPN2, 6 o'clock uh, primetime. So that's a great spot for the league. And then ULM goes to Texas State. ESPN Plus, I think it's on NFL Network. Uh, so, yeah, that's just something, some good publicity for the league where, you know, all five games are uh, going to be on linear broadcast this week. Probably not something that you can really say uh, for a lot of group of five leagues. Um, but, yeah, uh, uh, South Alabama obviously also off because, you know, the short week. Uh, but, yeah, some, some big games, especially on the east side. Uh, we're on the west side. I guess ULO's off. South Alabama's off. USM's off. Arkansas State's off. So a quiet week in the West, but huge games in the in the East with Georgia Southern teams, Madison, and uh, and Marshall, Georgia State, and then Coastal Naps. So um, games to watch on the other side of the league. Cool. All right, we have we've uh, we've run a little long, um, but you know we'll uh, we'll let some of this extra be in place for our missed episode next week. Uh, but we did say Pat, we're gonna uh, just just give us a quick overview of. South Alabama, Southern Miss will obviously be the underdogs in that one. Um, I had my, my good friend Caleb text me, uh, not a Southern Miss fan, but he said he he had checked the odds uh, for Southern Miss's bye week, and Southern Miss is a 10-point underdog uh, for the bye week. So <laughs> I thought that was funny. Uh, but we'll be certainly an underdog against South Alabama, Patrick. What do we need to know yeah, about Yeah, I mean, they're, they're three and three. Uh, they, they, you know, uh, they got the big win over Oklahoma State, which looks a little bit better. Oklahoma State beat Kansas State there on Friday night in Stillwater, so that's looking like a little bit better of a win. Um, but, yeah, I mean, look, they're one of the top teams in the league. They got Carter Bradley, who, you know, is, we've talked about, solid quarterback. I mean, kind of what we were kind of hoping Billy Wiles was going to be. And maybe, you know, Billy Wiles could be a Carter Bradley-type quarterback with a good enough surrounding cast, but he's a guy. You know, he's completed 66% of his passes, 11 touchdowns, five interceptions. Uh, you look at running the ball. I mean, I think the big story there is LaDamian Webb, a guy that, you know, has 400 or almost 500 yards on the ground, eight touchdowns, a guy that I think he was committed to or I think he was at Spindle by the time of Florida State. Um, um, his, freshman, his freshman year, then he went to a JUCO, then he went to South Al. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they're, they're a good team. Uh, let me pause and I can find what their S&P um, uh, plus is. Um, yeah, 57. Yes, yeah, so South Alabama, 57 in S&P Plus, 62 in offense, 58 in defense. Kane Womack known for his defenses. So, I mean, this is a top 60 team, which is, you know, toward the top of the group of five. If you look at S&P Plus, toward the top of the conference. Uh, in fact, if you just look at the conference, I think, uh, let's say, Troy would be number one, JMU two, South Alabama three. So, this is one of the top teams in the conference. Going to be a really tough game there on uh, on Tuesday night. Um you know, it's a game where I really think if, you know, you go out there and get embarrassed, kind of like what ULM just did, and it'll be a national TV audience against a team that, you know, a startup program right down the road, I think that would be another kind of knock against Hall, uh, certainly. Um, so it's it's going to be a, a difficult game. So not the, our, our full preview that we usually do for these opponents just because we're not recording next week and it's, you know, 10 days away instead of uh, the usual, you know, turnaround, but um, just kind of, Wanted to yeah, just brief people in South Alabama. I think people kind of know South Alabama better than just because you know they're a you know local team and you know kind of follow with what they've done, but just kind of touch on their their highlights. So yeah, but yeah, three and three, one and one in the league. Uh, and Patrick, just just out of curiosity, where where does uh, where does Bill Connolly have the Golden Eagles in S and P plus? Actually, it's not as low as you would expect. It's one hundred fourteen. Okay. Which is honestly pretty surprising. Yeah, yeah. Um. So, yeah, I'm trying to think. ULM is 122. Well, I think you've moved uh, up, actually, because I, I thought you were lower. Maybe so, actually. yeah, because Old, Old Dominion is actually 99. Okay. Uh, but, yeah, USM 114. That's second to last in the conference. Um. So, yeah, yeah like I was saying, ULM 122 is last in the conference. So, uh, Arkansas State 113. Um, yeah, there's only – you know, good for the Sun, but there's only – uh, three teams or let's Arkansas State, USM, and ULM. There's only three teams in the hundreds of uh, S and P plus, which is uh you know good for the Sun Belt. Bad that USM is one of them. 
Yes. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, it's been a good, it's been a good year for the conference. Huh? It's yeah. been, you know, you look at the, any metric, Sunbelt has been the best group of five conference um, in college football. So, Yep. Good stuff, Pat. Uh, and I, I think we might, um, we might've missed one or two questions. So uh, sorry if we didn't quite get to all of them. I think we, we hit just about all of them, but we appreciate you listening and interacting with us. We still, we still enjoy doing this, and um, and I've been saying this at the end of the week uh, for the last five weeks, I guess. Hopefully, we will have a win to talk about soon, uh, but if not, we will have some round ball to discuss. We'll do that in about two weeks' time, so we certainly hope to have you with us for that as we move towards, uh, yeah, year five of the Jay Ladner era, and we'll be with you through it all. That is Patrick McGee. My name is Ben Mild, and this has been another episode of Buzzardry. We hope to have you with us next time. This has been Buzzardry. Thanks for listening, and be sure to share and leave a review. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at Buzzardry Pod for all you need to know about the show. See you next time.